Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers is on a mission to reinvent your medicine cabinet with clean remedies that actually work. You and your family deserve to feel your best all day, every day, which is why Beekeepers Naturals creates clean, science-backed remedies that naturally support your daily health. P.S. This is like the best time ever for me to have them as a sponsor because I am actually sick. So I am using their Bee Soothed Cough Syrup, which could not have arrived at my doorstep at a better moment um, and is amazing. And it's a truly clean cough syrup, which makes me feel so much better. It has no drugs, dyes, dirty chemicals, refined sugars, and it tastes good, which is great. I mean, I can suck it up for anything, but it happens to taste really good. a sort of a light, sweet, natural berry flavor um, and has already made my throat feel better. I also love the throat spray that they have called Propolis Throat Spray, um, sort of a daily defender um, promoting immune health and helping scratchy throats, which I have. And then there's even Bee Powered Honey, which is great, and I've been putting it in my tea today. So thank you to Beekeepers Natural. I even have my own URL, so go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash no time. That's beekeepersnaturals.com dot com slash no time and the promo code to enter is no time and o-t-i-m-e so go check it out and i'm excited to expose you to this great brand ashley perez is a writer producer director and actor During her five-year career at BuzzFeed, she starred in over 250 videos and was one of the co-creators and a producer of BuzzFeed Violet, BuzzFeed's first scripted character universe. She now writes for the hit freeform show Good Trouble. Ashley's writing has been published in BuzzFeed, Hello Giggles, The Conversation, and Darling Magazine. She's also been featured on NPR's Take Two. Her latest book, Read This for Inspiration, Simple Sparks to Ignite Your Life, was reviewed by Good Morning America and Cosmopolitan Magazine. Her other books in the series, Write This and Send This, will release in the summer of 2021. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about Read This for Inspiration, or today we'll talk about this for inspiration, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so weird. I haven't seen very many people like holding the book. So you were just popping it in a frame was like, oh my goodness, there there it is. is. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And I know this is a podcast and also on YouTube, but for the people listening, I am a sucker, as you can see from my bookshelves behind me, of all the different rainbow colors. So it says, read this for inspiration in all different colors on this fine with yellow in the back and all the illustrations are just so happy and (laughs) awesome. So in addition to the actual content of the book, the container of it is, is so happy and something that we all really could use right now. So (laughs) bravo on that. (laughs) Sorry guys, if you hear a background noise, I'm outside and there's an airport near me. So that's what you're hearing. (laughs) 
you know what? There's always something. Usually yeah. it's sirens in my background, but yeah, you know, <laughs> trade-offs. So Ashley, tell me about your journey from BuzzFeed to publication, how this book came to be and how you kind of exploded onto the scene yourself. Yes. So my background is BuzzFeed. I worked there for five and a half years before BuzzFeed was really what it was. I was a video producer making all tor- all types of different content. Now I'm a TV writer and then have now written this nonfiction book that in some ways is a culmination of most of my life experiences. Like I went to college to study international studies. I love languages. At one point I lived in South Korea as an English teacher and thought I was going to be a diplomat. And so this book is very much a dumping of my brain. I have ADHD and it's a function of how my brain works that these are in short little chapters about lots and lots of different subjects. So it was actually really relieving for me to write the book and to see it because even now to this day, I can open it and it still looks like the inside of my brain. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how you set out like all these rules at the beginning. You were like, you can read it like this or you can just open it anytime you want or you can do it like that and it doesn't matter. It was like the most forgiving entrance Yes. Like you're holding someone's <laughs> hand and being like, let me teach you how to use the spec and how it can be a little different. And um, really the rule is just however you want to use the book, you can use it. And let's go back to your ADHD, which you talked about. And you, were, you yes. said in the book, I'm not good at resting. In fact, I have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, emphasis on the hyperactivity. Stillness does not exist in my bones, literally. And because of this, I am also not very patient. And then you talk about how you rush through everything and all the rest. Yes. Tell me about when did you know you had ADHD? And how did that affect even like your education and growing up and things like that? You know, most women don't get diagnosed with ADHD until they're older. And I was the same. I was in my late 20s. And when I found out and finally got the diagnosis, almost everything clicked backwards in my life where I was like, oh my God. One of the things that made me realize that I had it is that constant interrupting is a sign of ADHD. And my whole life, I just thought I was like too that my brain felt fast and I was like, you know, rude or something. And then I realized, oh, this is just one of the symptoms of ADHD. And when I went back and started, you know, actually talking to my therapist and to a psychiatrist, I had almost all of the markers for both deficit and hyperactivity. But because of the way women are socialized, we often can socially get around what most little boys can't, which is just hyperactivity and an inability to concentrate in schoolwork. So for me, ADHD, it it was very much a cycle of like feeling relieved and then feeling upset and then feeling confused about what that meant and ashamed. And now I really feel like I've embraced what that does to my brain and how, you know, this book wouldn't exist if my brain wasn't, didn't have ADHD because ADHD has an ability to like grasp different concepts from all over the place and put them together in kind of a weird and interesting mashup. And I think that's what I tried to do with this book is just let my brain be free and bring together concepts that might not normally make sense. Well, you know, it's so funny because I've talked to other like big deal editors of of (laughs) memoir or narrative fiction or whatever. And they're always saying things like, you know, try to play with time, try to like bring in Mm -hmm. this and mix it up here and don't make it like too straightforward, make it more interesting. And that's exactly what you're saying is like how (laughs) your brain is like de facto state of operation, right? Yes. It's nonlinear and just kind of hops around. That's so interesting that editors are like looking for that. Yeah. Because it keeps... Because the rest of us, even if you don't have ADHD, which I don't know, I feel like I have 
I, I feel like I have situational ADHD. Like mm-hmm. I am constantly interrupted. And so I can't <laughs> actually like think in a, in a normal way anymore. No, I know it's much more, I know a lot about it and I don't actually have it, but I do feel I do. like, you know, sleep deprivation and mm-hmm. other things can really affect your ability to focus, not in terms of a underlying condition, but, you know, a situational condition. <laughs> I also think that, you know, in, in some ways, the way that we use social media now has affected all of our attention spans, whether or not you have a diagnosis of ADHD. We all have so much less attention because of the way we're constantly consuming content in little bites. Yes. And so I think that's has its translation into fiction where it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, keep, keep people on their toes. Don't just like sit and tell them a story and expect them to, and not all, you know, maybe it was just a handful of, you know, I don't want to totally say that now I'm gonna, people are going to be like, wait, I have to like change my novel and mix it up a little bit. No, no, no. But just in some instances it can, mm-hmm. it can help keep the pacing or whatever. But anyway, all to say you do that naturally. And I love how you interweave, as you said, like all your personal stories. Like tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about your abuela, mm-hmm. and his love of books and your special relationship with him. And then how you ended up dedicating the book to him and yeah. you know his great saying that you put. And I love how you, of course, I'm not going to find it at the right time, but was this one it? There's always more to learn. Yeah. Yes. And yep. You have it here, which I'm showing on YouTube, but nobody can see. Yeah. <laughs> and I won't even try to, you know, massacre the Spanish. But anyway, tell me more about him. Yeah. So the book is dedicated to my abuelo and he is the entire reason that I love books. He was like, he died in, in 2019, but he was like known as kind of a walking encyclopedia. Anything that he read, and he read in all sorts of languages. He wrote, he read in French, he read in English, he read in Spanish. Anything that he read was like committed to memory, even all the way up until he died when he was 89. And he always used to write me letters in Spanish and I would write back to him. And the page, the entry that you're talking about is from a letter that he wrote to me at the end of it. It's, Nunca crees saberlo todo. Siempre necesitamos aprender más. Never think that you know everything. There's always more to learn. And I really think that that's how he lived his life, always in the pursuit of knowledge, in the pursuit of, of new facts. He, he, in fact, very much enjoyed like he enjoyed discovering new things that would change his perspective. And I always like very much appreciated that about him. And I think my sense of curiosity and appreciation specifically for words, uh, you'll notice that a lot of the book has to do with etymology and the origin of language and what words really mean. I think that came solely from my grandfather because he was so precise with all of the words that he chose. And he often corrected my Spanish and often like made sure that I was using the correct words, the correct interpretations. I would go over to his house in order to learn Spanish and he would pull out old letters that my dad had written him and we would correct my dad's letters in Spanish, which is very fun. And we would correct my dad's letter in Spanish with Spanish-English dictionary next to us to like be learning and always learning. And so I wanted to dedicate the book to him because it's very much an expression of love, of learning and of always being curious and always discovering new things and and not being precious about where you discover new things because you can find things everywhere and you can find inspiration everywhere. 
That is such a genius idea. By the way, I have this giant bag of camp letters from like summer oh, yeah. camp, which is like stuffed underneath a bunch of like clothes in the corner of my closet. <laughs> and how great, like as my kids get better at grammar and learning to spell, I mean, hopefully they'll get better to take those letters out, even in English and have them yes. correct them. And then yes. they can learn more about me and they can, we can like have a bonding moment. That's brilliant. That sure literally... Yeah. It was such a fun way for me to learn about my dad with my grandfather there and learn about their relationship and then also learn Spanish. It, it was like, it was just so fun and so personal. And I'm sure your kids would love that because I think anytime as children, we get a glimpse into who our parents really are and who they are when they were our age, it's mind blowing and it humanizes them. Totally. And the people even who wrote me letters, because mm-hmm. I saved a lot of those. Now with the emails, I'm always like, oh, I'm sure I'll be able to find this later. I'm just going to stuff it in this little folder <laughs> on the side here. I'm never going to see that email again. But my no, letters I have, I know where yes. they are. <laughs> and you know, I think a lot of writers are very attached to words, obviously. But I, I, the only thing that I will ever keep, and I always think like, if there was a fire, what would I grab? I keep every thing anyone has ever written to me. Like if I was at a bar with a friend and we wrote something on a coaster, I have that coaster. I have post-its that my roommate used to write me in college. I have like anything that has words on it. And when my grandfather died or right before he died, he showed me in his office all... There's like this... His whole desk was filled with every single letter anyone has ever written him. And the ones marked from his family were marked tesoros, which means treasures. And I was like, oh, that is at the end, like all we have are these like treasures from each other and what we said to each other and how we made each other feel. That's so true. And I'll tell you the first thing that I always do, because I've lost a lot of people, as I know mm-hmm. so many people have whenever, I mean, I don't do this consciously, but I have found that one of the first things I do is like an inventory of yes, what letters, where is their handwriting? What mm-hmm. can I hold in my hand? What pictures do I have? What videos do I have? And I kind of like assemble it all together. And those... <laughs> become talismans. Like the the note from my friend in college that I still have, like the birthday mm-hmm. card from my grandmother, all of it. It's so, it ends up having so much more importance. So I, I don't know. I've like memorized every voicemail my grandpa ever sent me. And it's so funny because voicemails are always so casual and it just feels like, oh, how did I not know this was so important, you know? And now I, my mailbox is always full because I refuse to delete any voicemails from anyone. <laughs> The only voicemail I refuse to delete is from Andre Agassi, who was like the second guest on this podcast. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that he ever called me. So I keep like deleting all the, you know, annoying school emails or my parents or whatever. But like Andre Agassi, all caps is in my voicemail <laughs> inbox. Anyway. So wait, tell me now about your your TV writing and what you're doing aside from writing great inspirational books. Like this my- yeah, you know, my TV writing, I work on a show called Good Trouble, which is on Freeform. It's a spinoff of a show called The Fosters. And it's been such a fun exercise. You know, I started in digital writing and writing short form content for the internet and then moved into TV writing, which is group writing, essentially. Like a lot of people, I, I didn't know even as a writer that what really the function of a writer's room is. And it's just a bunch of writers sitting with each other, discussing their lives and stories and seeing how it translates to other characters. And so really all writing is the same, I think. It's like humans sharing stories with each other and then figuring out the best form for it to take. But ironically, like being in a writer's room, you do very little solo writing. When you get an episode, you go off and write, or sometimes you'll write scenes for different episodes. But it was more of a function of just like being in community with each other. 
I know. I feel like I usually preferred solo projects to group projects in school, you know, and I always like, and yet I kept getting like thrown together, particularly in business school, because they were like, you have to learn how to work as a group. And then the Mm. more I talk to people who work on, in writer's rooms, it's the same thing. And I'm like, well, I guess I should have, (laughs) I have that opportunity. But a girlfriend of mine is going to be in a writer's room in January. And she's like, do you want to come in on our Zoom? And I was like, yes, I can't wait. I want to see what that's like. (laughs) It's definitely a very cool experience. And I think it's, it's fun to be able to write in lots of different forms because the book was very much written at exactly where I'm sitting every day at the same time. I would write during the dawn and during dusk, I found were the best parts for me. So like in the very early morning or at night in the magic hour, essentially of the day and the dawn. And because, and the hardest part about writing this book was that I had to be inspired in order to write it. And so I was like constantly practicing how how do I find inspiration and in what ways? And, you know, part of it is like the discipline of looking for inspiration. But then oftentimes it would be at the times where I was completely exhausted, couldn't think of anything and would go on a walk that something would surprise me and give me a true burst of inspiration that was like, unlike just pining and looking for it. It's hard to say like, okay, now I'm going to be inspired. Yeah. Although I guess now that we have your book, we, <laughs> it, it, now I have a time and a place that anytime I want, I can just go in. You know, another thing I noticed is how often you referenced Oprah. I feel like she must be some sort of yes. cult hero of yours because you talk yes. about not only how she used to hand out free donuts on the street to get people into her mm-hmm. taping studio, but also how few iconic moments are relative to how much time the show took in general, right? Yes. <laughs> how many hours. So tell me about you and Oprah. Oh, me and Oprah. I wish that that was a real thing of like, here's my friendship with Oprah. But just like most of America, Oprah has just been like an icon in my house. And I think a a purveyor of wisdom and somebody who has, I've looked to for perspective. Me and my editor had a lot of back and forth about how much Oprah could be in the book. Interesting. <laughs> and I, I won a lot of Oprah. I would say I was just flipping through the book the other day. I'm like, oh, the first couple of entries are very Oprah heavy or people that Oprah has talked to and the wisdom that she learned there. But I think that, you know, I really respond to Oprah's like what I know for sure and little truth. She has a book called The Book of Happiness. I think Oprah is also someone who has been scouring the world in her lifetime for new perspectives and new new learnings and and Oprah's person is Maya Angelou. Like if you know anything about Oprah, all she ever talks about is Maya Angelou and what Maya Angelou taught her. For me, it's Oprah and Brene Brown are the two people that I constantly and incessantly talk about who I feel like are women who have taught me a lot. But one of my favorite things that you're referencing is there's an entry about Oprah, how she had, I believe it's 4,000... 561 or 4,651 episodes of the Oprah Winfrey show. 4,561. 561. I was trying to memorize it because this has actually come up a few times, but she had 4,561 episodes of the Oprah Winfrey show, but maybe, I don't know, 10 of those episodes, but truly like three of those moments are iconic in American history and feel like part of our pop culture zeitgeist. And I think about the fact that, you know, she had a quote that said, do the work as an offering and then whatever happens, happens. Because I think often as artists or creatives or people who are looking just for inspiration, we put a lot into whatever the next thing is and feel like it has to be perfect and it has to be the thing where actually in actuality with life, like even what you're talking about with camp, 
think about how many hours you spent at camp, how many days, how many nights, and how many of those memories really stay exactly with you and how many of those are pertinent to you. And I think it kind of taught me that you can't hold everything so preciously because you just do the work because you want to do it because you love it and you live your life because you have to live your life. And we're not really sure what's going to resonate. And it's not our job to figure that out. It's just our job to put out there what is important to us. I love that. Well, that sounded like great advice. I always like to ask what advice you have for aspiring authors. And that is fabulous. Do you have anything, <laughs> anything else aside from basically keep putting things out there and letting the right people find it when they need it? Yeah. You know, that actually, that pretty much sums my advice, sums up my advice is that you don't need permission to be a writer. You don't need permission to be, and that the validation of I think oftentimes for me, I was always looking for what is going to make me a real writer? What job am I going to get? Who's going to see it? Is it? Do I have to have a published book in order to feel real and authentic? And it's actually so much more about, I feel like a real writer when I'm writing stuff that I like. And, and no one could see it, you know? Like it's like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who's this amazing writer. She did Fleabag and Killing Eve. She's a television writer. She always says that like she writes for her one best friend. She just wants to make her one best friend laugh and that's it. And it, she ended up making everybody laugh and is this incredible writer. But I think the pressure of thinking of an audience and people who are going to deem your work important can actually be the killer of creativity. And so it's like just either write for your best friend or write for yourself and and take that pressure off and then whatever happens happens if it goes out into the world and people like it great if it doesn't i often think that the the time of anonymity is the best time to be a writer because you can fail in the dark by yourself with no one watching <laughs> so enjoy the time before the time where people are looking <laughs> Love it. failures in the dark <laughs> yes <laughs> The next book, Unite. I have to read this for inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> read this for inspiration in your closet with the lights up. But yes. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Thanks for this beautiful book, which just makes me smile whenever I see it and which I'm going to like leave out on my coffee table, even though it's tiny and adorable. It's That's really exactly happy. what it's for. Yeah, That's what it's go. for. It's yeah. for your coffee table. I made it specifically when I was designing it. I like to, I carry my books with me all around in backpacks and stuff. And it's like, I want it to be hard enough that it didn't get bent and that you could fit it into your purse, into your locker or right next to you by your coffee table. So thank you so much for having me, Zibby. And it was great talking with you. Great talking to you too. Bye. Right. Bye, Ashley. Thanks so much to Beekeepers Naturals for helping me through a sick day with the amazing cough syrup and um, cough spray, throat spray that you have. And thanks for helping all my listeners. Beekeepersnaturals.com slash no time, promo code no time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 